Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it's so nice to be with you on this Monday. I love Mondays. Gives me back uh, here, and it gets me thinking about uh, what the week is going to be like and what it's going to be like hanging out with you. And it's, uh, I got a great week planned. Just so you know, I've been thinking about it for a while. And Rosie and I have decided we've got a great show for you tonight, for today. And it's going to start with Patrick, my friend from the great state of Iowa and the prestigious town of West Des Moines. And then we're going to move on to a really fascinating Monday afternoon mix. We're going to be joined by Gary Chapman and Clarence Schuler. They've got a new book called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. It's going to be great. Hour two, I'm going to wait for that when the time comes. But for now, let's get Patrick on. <laughs> Seriously, I can only do so much teasing. Now it's time to just start the show. It's time to start delivering. It is. It's Thank you. It's time to start delivering. <laughs> I agree. Well, so, I mean, me, how long did you, 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 you would always remember those teases on the radio where you say, oh, you know, they're, they're going to be playing Kansas, dust in the wind coming up three hours later, you're still in your car in the driveway. Say, Come on. I really want to hear this song. <laughs> My only chance to figure out those lyrics. <laughs> it's so true. It's so yeah. true. Yeah. So I, I love the passage in Scripture where Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And Which, know, by the way, was him referring to my style of banjo playing. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it was a literary device called hyperbole because clearly yes. your right hand cannot not know what your left hand is doing. But uh, I always found it interesting if, if that literary device called hyperbole has always been the same because usually it's just a big exaggeration. Most of the time, it's designed to get a smile or a laugh. And I wondered when he said that, was he designing it in a way to get a little smile, chuckle response from the listeners? Wait, was it, you're saying a, a bit of an exaggeration, perhaps? Perhaps, uh, yes. Perhaps. Yes. You know, I mean, he says, you know, you ought to see my friend has the seven camel garage. You go, <laughs> oh, come on. Nobody's got a seven camel garage. Right, right. Yep. Wow. So it brings me to this point. Um, are you still willing to do things if you're not going to get credit for it? Uh, okay. Uh, you know how we tend to think the best of ourselves. We're the hero of our own stories. And then uh, sometimes you come up against the reality of life. So uh, I actually can answer that question Uh I have one of those smartwatches, right? Uh, and they, they say it's smart because it is. It's smarter than some people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly smarter than I was when I was young. And uh, it counts my steps. And I never thought I'd get into that. And I suddenly I did. And I, I, I said, I will, I will try to do this 10,000 steps per day just because, not because anybody s- said that that's actually optimal for health. Maybe they did. But because an arbitrary number was set. So I could check it a hundred times a day. So, oh, how close am I getting? You know, how many more steps do I have to do? I mean, there were times when I'm trying to lay down, go to sleep at night, and I have 9,600 steps. Do, 
So you'd see me. It's winter. I'm walking down the street <laughs> to the neighbor's house. I can tell you that my neighbor is 200 steps away. So I know. <laughs> you know how far to go and when to come back. Yeah, I mean, this is true. I have many, many a night put the put the watch back on the charger with ten thousand and one steps. Oh, funny. <laughs> So uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I go on vacation, I get off the plane and my phone did a thing they called bricking. It turned into a, a brick. I, I had never heard the term before, but I guess that means that's all it's good for is to, to hold things down. And it stopped working. And all of a sudden, because I couldn't count my steps, I stopped moving as much. Interesting. So, I, you know, I would normally maybe go to the gym in the morning and I would jump rope for 10, 12 minutes and try to get 1,000 or 1,200 steps in. Now I would jump rope for about a minute and say, you know, if I'm not getting the credit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, see no point. No. Yeah. I see no point in continuing this exercise. Maybe I have the wrong guest on today. No, no, it's, it's, it's the same guest you always have who's always the wrong guest. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. Uh, do you put the tip in the coffee jar if the barista is not watching? Why would I do that? Well, <laughs> so now there are, there are a couple of schools of thought, of course. Um, there are, if, if ever I used to have a, one of those ratty, you know, like a really old dollar bills in my wallet. Mm-hmm. I could make a big production out of it. I would say, oh, goodness, why, this bill is of no use to me. Here, where can I put it? Oh, here's a handy little jar. <laughs> <laughs> or if you had the really nice crisp bill, uh, you, you could make that snappy sound, right? Yes. Uh, many, many year, moons ago when I, was a, 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 I worked in restaurants, uh, I, I would collect a whole bunch of the ratty-looking bills, and sometimes if I wasn't sure how somebody would tip when I would hand gave them their change back, I would I would dish it all out in these really ratty $1 <laughs> bills, <laughs> knowing they were going to come right back to me because they would say, I can't put that in my wallet. That's mm -hmm. not money. <laughs> so I, I always kept a stash of, uh, of ratty-looking bills. So that was that's how I would I would make a production huh. of putting it in. But if, if they were not looking, if they had turned away, isn't that that silly? I, I'm just I asking. Should... That's all. Well, what's your answer to the, to this? Well, query? you know, sadly, I prefer them see me do it. Sadly, but let's go back to what Jesus was saying. He was saying, "Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing." It was re refers to giving alms in secret, and of course, that was standing in contrast with drawing attention to our giving. So he was specific in how he used that reference. Uh, so you want to make sure you gave to the needy. Just do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing because there were many others that wanted to make a production out of their giving. So I suppose on some level I'm I'm not doing it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, and, and of course in this day and age of uh, cell phones, I, I think the idea of taking a selfie of you putting money in a tip jar... <laughs> And yeah. posting it on social media maybe is an example of the right hand and the left hand knowing exactly what's going on. Right, exactly. With each other. So when Jesus' words, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, does that mean we should never let others know about our giving? Ooh. Uh, I, I, doesn't it depend on the reason why you're letting them know? I mean, I know we live in this age of virtue signaling, 
where uh, it's not just about getting credit, but uh, uh, we, we do like to say, well, I did a little something and I really felt good about it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, did we feel good about it or does it feel good now because I'm getting to tell the story? Uh, you know, I, it's it's part of that dilemma with, say, social media, where as you peruse it, it seems to be a combination of people either calling you names and saying you don't know what you're talking about or just showing photos of how much better their life is than yours. Yeah. I mean, I think we can so, all doubt our our sincerity at times. I, I know that when the, the motive of giving is to focus on God and, and focus on eternity rather than on on the temporary praises of people. But when I think of the uh, amazing generosity of people at Faith Radio, I go, I like that there are things being said about their generosity because it involves eternity. It involves uh, life-changing opportunities for people. And I think generosity spurs other generosity. But if I brag to you that I put $5 in the tip jar at the coffee shop uh, because I want you to think I'm a a big spender, that, that, that doesn't really matter no and i i I would say five that seems kind of high doesn't you know uh yeah no i I think i put in five i took four out i mean i had to make change (laughs) and the only reason you took four out is because they only had four singles in there (laughs) you don't want those pesky quarters i know you don't need them for the meters anymore yeah or laundry that's true i think you're on to yeah you've got Laundry facilities now. You've got the wash basin, right? I do. I got this yeah. little scrubber. But Patrick, yeah. when you think of uh, you know the, just the basic temptation for pride, that usually is associated with public displays of generosity. I mean, do you want to make? I, what, I love Paul McCartney when he makes donations. You have a contract you sign, a secrecy thing that if you reveal who gave the money to the association or to the cause, it has to be returned. Yeah, I, I don't know if. You, that's it's really wonderful. I, I don't know if you recall a few years back, I, I made a video for my church kind of on you know, a guy walks in on me and sees me attaching, you know, the brass plates to the back of chairs. And it has, you know, uh, donated by Patrick Albany's. And you say, whoa, that's uh, that's that's interesting. Did you uh, did you did you donate all these chairs? I don't know. Just the just the plates. Just <laughs> <laughs> And he says, you know, he's like, well, I, I see you wrote it in Sharpie. I said, yes, engraving, they charge by the letter, which gets a little expensive, but this is permanent marker. And it was kind of poking fun at, uh, you know, wanting to have the credit for something, even if it's not something you actually did. You put your name on the back of a chair and the assumption is, of course, that you donated the the seating. And we were doing it because uh, my church has a philosophy of you can donate, of course, anything you want to the church, but your name won't go on anything. Mm-hmm. If you want to buy, if you want to spend a million dollars and build uh, a, a baptismal fountain uh, with a water slide, you know, because that's a, that's the kind of thing you could do with a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You can do it, but your name will not be on it. Yeah, I like and that. And so. Yeah, and uh, but the donations flow anyway, and it, it reminds me, like with Faith Radio, you say, anytime you, you want to you know, give some money, it, it really does, what's my heart saying? It says, will this help somebody? Can, can I do this? Can I help somebody out? Yeah, and I think generosity begets generosity. I think when you see somebody make a sacrificial move of some kind, 
you dig down to your own life and think, well, what kind of sacrificial move could I make? I think it's very yes. challenging. I think it's lovely. I do think it's lovely. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess I'll start putting money in the tip jar. I'll wait till they turn away. Ooh, that, <laughs> I want to hear how that goes. Far. Yeah, <laughs> that might be a bridge too far. Yeah. All right. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I want to ask you about proofreading. I think that's something that none of us are doing very well. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. If you're listening to that song, you must be wondering if Patrick Albanese is my guest. You are thinking correctly. He is my guest, and he is a friend of mine, a colleague, and a comedian, and a performer, and was on TV for a year. He did all kinds of stuff. But what I love most about him is he's my friend. That's what I like. Hey, hey. What? Well, and and, and uh, likewise, ditto. Oh, I, I like that you like that I'm your friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, speaking of generosity, I was cleaning out my car, and this happened. I found there was a cell phone under the seat, and nobody has lost this. Nobody has called and said that I leave a cell phone under your seat, and apparently it's been there for months. And so today I spent two dollars on a charging cord so I can charge it up and find out who it belongs to. Uh huh. And I'm just wondering if it's okay to ask them for the $2 back. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find out whose phone it is? Uh, it's charging up right now. Oh, okay. But I just it was cleaning the car. So who, who, I, who would lose their phone, a very nice smartphone, oh, yeah. in a vehicle? And then, of course, your mind starts going to these places. You say, somebody put it there. I'm being watched. So, you know, yeah. I, I went to the crazy place. Well, that's so not like you. Um, but. Let me Too ask much. you this. How, yeah. what percentage of the time do you have to redo a text or an email because you just typed it out and sent it and then you went back and read it and you went, oh no, oh no, no, this just didn't come out right. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's not what I meant. And, yeah. Uh, I, I almost have to fix every single text message. I don't even know why I can't seem to navigate the letter I, O, and U. They're right there <laughs> next to each other, mm -hmm. you know? But if I'm trying to type the word of, I invariably type if. If, I do that too. Yeah, every single time. And I I, I send them now because I realize people, they, they, they're they all having the same problem. I, I have what I call typelexia. Uh, the words that are in my head do not, do not come out of my fingers. Mm. They just, they don't. And so I struggle because if I, tr if I try to... Uh, if I type fast, uh, it's a mess. You know, um, like if I type efficiently, I have to go slowly. I type efficiently, I'll start to lose my train of thought <laughs> midway through the sentence. <laughs> That's so true. No, I no, do that I, too. What, yeah, what was I going to say? Yeah. So then I try to speed it up a little bit and I say, you know what? I will proofread it later and then I'll fix the typos, but I, I have to get these ideas down. And then I'm looking through the text and I say, I, I have no idea what the word grizzle gump means. <laughs> 
You really don't even know how to reconstruct the sentence because Grizzle Grump is killing the whole thing. Grizzle Grump, yeah. You say, I don't even know. If, is that a verb? <laughs> it's, 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 I'm not, it could be a place. It sounds like it might be a place, you know, is it from the movie Shrek. Maybe it's from yeah. Shrek. Yeah. I don't then, know. Then you look it up the word going, is this a word? Did it autocorrect yeah. it to the right word? Yeah. So now I've gotten, I talk a lot of my text messages in, although the machine still makes mistakes. The other day, it just kept calling my daughter Ellie, Eli. And so that ends up being a bit of a uh, a problem when you get the message back, who's Eli? You go, well, I have to explain who Eli is. But uh, I, I, I tell you, it's funny. You remember the old Star Trek TV show? They had all these things, you know, that they used to talk to their computers. They did. And in, in the 60s, you know, they had these doors that slid open so that you could walk into a room. You said, wow, what a great idea. We should do that. They had the little square plastic disks. They were like floppy disks. Mm-hmm. They had touchscreens on their computer. They they saw they got everything right except one thing. They didn't get that wall of blinky lights right. <laughs> we don't have the we don't have the wall of blinky lights. No, we don't. Go, but everything else we have. Mean? We got all the other things. And even when I speak it in. Uh, now I worry about two things. A, it's still going to make mistakes that I have to correct. B, how lazy am I getting? Do well, you worry about getting so lazy that you say, why don't I just take up a, like, write a note, an <laughs> actual note? <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, I'm, I'm a fan of the, the, the handwritten note. It's a lost art. And, it, you know, I think the more we do that, the more we uh, set ourselves apart. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, as you know, I always put post-it note uh, notes on my kids' lunches and uh, they get tossed. But I've taken a picture of every single one of them. It's 400 or so by now, I think. And uh, one day I figure, you know, I'll make it into a little book and uh, hand it to them when they're, you know, when they're much older and say, I don't know if you remember your childhood. You know, <laughs> please tell me you do. Otherwise, it means you blocked it. That's not a good sign. Mm-hmm. But I thought, guys, this will make a pretty nice little gift, wouldn't it? These were all these little handwritten notes that Dad put on your lunch every single day. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I, I would appreciate that. My mom once made a photo album for each of us kids for Christmas that had, you know, kind of our childhood growing up. Now, when you're a kid in the 60s and 70s, you pretty much have one picture from every year, and it's a class picture. This is the same shirt and tie that I was wearing in every single picture. <laughs> but it's kind of, you know, those are nice gifts to, you know, remember. But they're personal. We yeah. don't do personal enough. Yeah. And a friend of mine's wife has transcribed the book of John in her handwriting into a, a, a blank book to give to their kids. So how would you like a copy of the Gospel of John in your mom's handwriting? I would love that. I would too. I mean, I just love having my mom's Bible with her little handwritten notes in it off to the side. We, That's precious we have, to me. We have some of her recipe cards. We're not going to make some of this food. We're just, you know, I, I see her, your chicken cacciatore was terrible, mom. However, we have the recipe, <laughs> the recipe card with your handwriting about how to pretty much what to avoid if you're ever going to make dinner, you know, I think is. But it's it's, you know, I have this. This my mom one year decided to do crafty things and she made a sweatshirt for uh, the three boys. We each got a uh, sweatshirt and she did some sort of hand painting thing on it. And it is it's terrible artwork. It's just terrible. 
and I have never worn it. But there is, it's in it, it's in a plastic bag, sealed, airtight. <laughs> yeah. There is, I, there's no way this is going anywhere. Yeah. It's yeah. just so personal. It is. It is. Yeah. So, uh, when does the Iowa State Fair start? I think in a, uh, about a week. Okay. Or I think next weekend. Yeah. It okay. should be fun. Do you yeah. always, you always go, don't you? We always do, you know, and, uh, we've kind of gotten into the habit of going early in the morning and getting out of there by noon when it gets too hot and there's too many people. And, you know, by then you've already eaten enough and seen enough. Um, so what's really nice is that we have an amusement park here and to compete with the Iowa state fair, if you have a membership, you can start bringing people for free because nobody goes to the amusement park during the state fair. So they're trying to incentivize that. Well, I thought of this ahead of time. So when my wife was buying season passes for the kids, I said, you do not buy me one. We're going state fair week. <laughs> I can, <laughs> Cause I can go every day for free. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it, doesn't yours start soon? The Minnesota, no, that's a big deal. No, ours at the end of the month, and we go through uh, Labor Day. So it's 11 days, I think, of State Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like a Thursday through a Sunday. Something, yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. What is, did you have? Do you have a stick food that you like? I don't eat st- uh, State Fair food. I hate to report that uh, openly, but I don't eat, I don't, A, I don't go to the fair, and then B, when I do go there, I don't get food. Isn't that crazy? And I don't, yeah, I can't well, go on rides. So I go no, and look at the animal barns and I look at some of the crafts and then I go because I've been there nine minutes. Yeah. So that works out to about $4 per attraction. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. You know, we um, we went to a water park in Arizona recently and I said, we are not leaving till we get this down to three bucks a slide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but it is so a, we're in it for the long haul. They call yeah. Minnesota State Fair the great get together and I do – believe they have literally everything at the state fair i mean they they do collect last time i was there they did cholesterol testing right next to the booth where they were selling deep fried avocados wrapped in bacon and dipped in cheese yeah so i would do the test twice obviously <laughs> once <laughs> once before yeah once after I go, yeah. let's just see how much this is affecting me i'm a big fan of the uh pepto-bismol on a stick i think uh, <laughs> that booth is always pretty busy yeah you know. It's well, fun. I always yeah. like starting the week on a lighter note. You helped me do that. And I know uh, I got some nice comments already from listeners. They appreciate a laugh. So it's always good. Thank you. Well, I'm always uh, happy to be here. It's it's just uh, it's always good to be somewhere, isn't it? Oh, no kidding. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> nope. So have a great rest of the day, and I will catch you soon. Thanks. Talk to you later. You bet. Thank you. If you are a new listener to Faith Radio, we want to officially welcome you. And we've got a free welcome pack gift. You should check it out. Go request yours today at myfaithradio.com. And I do want to suggest if you have a smartphone and you have not downloaded the Faith Radio app, it's pretty slick. I got to be honest. You can uh, open it up quickly. It's a beautiful uh, format. It has all the shows. It's got, uh, it can instantly live stream. So I think you would like having it. You can certainly check it out. And if you don't like having it, you can take it off your phone, but You should give it a try. You can go check it out at uh, myfaithradio.com or obviously go to your app store, whether it's uh, Google or Apple, you can go uh, find it there. So I'll quit sounding like a tech person right now because clearly I'm not. All right. David Miles just walked in. So the Monday afternoon mix is up next. We'll be right back.
Pastor David Miles, what should I say first? It's the Monday Afternoon Mix or it's a special edition of the Monday Afternoon Mix? I think you kind of said both. <laughs> <laughs> I covered my bases because it you is did. indeed a very special edition of Monday Afternoon Mix. It is. I'm excited to bring uh, to the conversation today not only Dr. Gary Chapman but uh, Clarence Schuler. They've written a book called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time, and they've got a doozy. They have a doozy, and we have two, you know, if I can say, two doctors of love in the house. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and two people who know the ultimate great physician of love, Jesus. So I am I'm super excited for people and our listening family as they are driving home today and those that will be listening later on, on a podcast. So um, Gary and Clarence, guys, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. It's, it's an honor to have you guys back, and, and thank you for taking time to, to love our listening family in Christ. Well, thanks well, thank for you. having you. I think we're both glad to be with you. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, I mean, like we had you uh, last year. We did a Father's Day special. That was uh, awesome, by the yes. way. Yeah. And uh, for those that don't know, go back and check it on at Faith Talk Radio. Um, you can find messages there. But did a thing on your guys' book, Choosing Greatness, which was phenomenal for Father's Day. I do have to say one thing. Choosing Greatness, the, the caveat said 11 wise choices that, that young men should make. I actually have told people that's 11 choices, wise choices that anyone should be making. Um, so that was super good. But today we're talking about life-changing cross-cultural friendships that actually uh, begins with you guys. So you want to share briefly a little bit about you guys' relationship that's actually brought this book about. Well, I, I met Gary in uh, 1968. I was 14 years old. Uh, even though segregation had been outlawed, it was still practiced a lot in Winston-Salem. And when my buddy's going to integrate school, I was going to a uh, predominantly black school. And, uh, but you never went to a white venue by yourself. So my buddy, who was 5'7", wanted me to go because he was really short. I was much taller. I was 5'8". And so uh, I was his bodyguard. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, my parents had this huge meeting to determine if I could go to a white church because allegedly deacons, of this particular denomination, which this particular church belonged to, were bombing black churches. So that was a real big deal. And so, uh, but they finally let us go. And as soon as we crossed the tracks, which divide our neighborhoods, our communities, you know, white people began to throw um, uh, bottles and call us names and stuff like that. But once we got into church, into the gym, um, Gary came over on the basketball court where I was and just introduced himself. And he said, I'm really glad you're here. And that sort of blew me away. But that was my first encounter, first meeting uh, with Gary Chapman. Yeah, Clarence walked in that night, he and his friend Russell, and uh, two black faces with about 100 white kids. And some of my adult workers kind of looked at me and pointed to me, like, and pointed to them and said, like, Is he, do you see them, <laughs> you know? I mean, this is a different age, man, in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember waking up one morning and uh, the, uh, the National Guard was standing on the street corners just, you know, trying to protect us all. So, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a high-tension time racially. And uh, Clarence and his friend, you know, looking back on that, really took quite a risk to move out like that. But I think they found, you know, a warm reception, and uh, as uh, Clarence said, I said, hey, guys, we're glad you're here. And when it was over that night, I said, hey, guys, we're here every Tuesday night 
and you guys are always welcome. And they started coming, and uh, that's where our friendship began. Dr. Schuler, how did you explain to your friends in the hood that you were going across town to this white neighborhood and this white church? Well, there really wasn't a hood, so to speak, where I lived. It was a black community, but it was a wealthy, a well, yeah, I, well-to-do neighborhood. I always so, think of uh, every everything as a hood. You know, even the rich <laughs> neighborhoods are hoods, right? <laughs> well, okay, all right. Just want to put that in context. Oh, I appreciate that. Words, yeah, it mean different things, but uh, uh, you know, there was a question about you know, especially my parents by their their peers, other parents, the wisdom of us going to. A, a white church where we could be lynched or mistreated. And then my, my buddies were kind of like, hey, man, you know, if you're accepting white people, they were kind of wondering how really black you are. But but then, you know, there's actually a white girl and her brother who come pick us up for the first couple of weeks. And so they, then they were asking, how do you get a white girl come pick you up in the neighborhood? So then I was pretty cool. And, uh, <laughs> and but, then, but, but then Gary started coming to pick us up after that. And uh, Gary, you want to tell him about our first encounter? <laughs> yeah, our first yeah, conflict. I, I pulled up in front of Clarence's house, and he and James, another friend of his, were sitting on the porch. And uh, I got out of my car and started walking down the sidewalk toward the house. And I said, uh, "You boys ready to go?" And his his friend James said, "I ain't no boy." And I said, "Okay, James, I think I need to listen to you." I said, "Why don't we, after the meeting's over tonight, why don't we sit down and talk?" And you tell me, you tell me how you feel when you heard that word. It blew me away, you know. And so, but that night after it was all over, we must, Clarence must have been two hours. We sat around mm-hmm. and talked. Yeah. And uh, they told me, you know, said, well, our fathers are called boys by white men. Mm. And they told us, don't ever let a white man call you boy, you know. And I said, man, I get it. I said, I, I, I had no idea, you know, that that's what the word meant. I said, you know, to, for me, if I were picking up two white guys, I would have said the same thing. You know, I said, to me, boy, is an age thing, you know, and has nothing to do with race or being derogatory. And so, yeah, I heard them. They heard me. We understood each other. And uh, I don't think I ever called them boys again. You know, I just said, hey, guys, I'm just glad I'm learning, you know, what that word means and what it makes you feel. And then they understood me and realized that that I was not, you know, personally putting them down. I wasn't conscious that I was doing that. So, you know, I think anytime you do have cross-cultural friendships, you're going to have uh, misunderstandings. You know, words that mean one thing in their culture, another thing in your culture. And but that's what friendship is all about. It's getting to know a person well enough that you discover those things and you learn about each other's culture so that you can relate to each other in a more positive way. And Dr. Well, oh, go ahead. Well, just, well, once I started jumping in, what was significant about that was we had conflict. He didn't get defensive. He didn't quit, but he talked to us, and then he listened to us. And so that showed us tremendous respect and also equality. And so I think when we are having cross-cultural friendships, you, got, you need to embrace conflict because if you handle it correctly— it actually makes you closer because he just said he learned about us. We learned about him. We became closer. And after that, he could have called us a boy because we respected him, but, mm. he, but he never did. But he never did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I love the fact because when you guys open up chapter three of your book, 
you talk about how friendship begins with courtesy and patience. And just as a, a brief, this is my own PSA and commercial, this book is amazing. I mean, one of the things for me in reading a lot, looking at culture, race, the gospel, biblical discipleship, this was such a hopeful and hope-inspiring mm. book. And and even things on how you guys describe the difference between acquaintances and mm. mentoring and friendships. Mm. That was so amazing. But, you know, Gary, as you're talking, I'm hearing the point that you said the word courtesy came from two Greek words, one meaning the mind and the other friend. And so to be courteous is to be friendly minded, to treat others as you would treat a friend. Yeah, and I think if we understand that, it's one of the keys to building friendships across uh, racial and cultural lines. Treat people that you encounter as though you would treat a friend. You know, if you're pulling into a parking lot and it's just packed with cars and you see an empty space and you're headed for it and someone else comes around the other corner, what do we do typically? We speed up and get it, you know. (laughs) But if you considered the person in the other car a friend, if you knew they were a friend, you probably would just back off and let them have it. So what if we treated everybody as though they were a friend? You know, the Mm. Scriptures have a statement pretty much like that, that he that would have friends must show himself friendly. So a lot of it starts with an attitude of, I'm going to be a courteous person. I'm going to treat people as though they were a friend. And one thing I already learned since we started this interview is how important words are, because (laughs) when... When I have a friend calling and saying, hey, do you want to grab dinner tonight? I'll say, sometimes say, do you mind coming to my hood? In other oh, words, do you, mind coming, yeah, do you yeah. mind coming to my neck of the woods? Yeah. And then, but I say that, and I think, Clarence, you thought, ooh, I just took a, did I just take a shot? And I thought, no, I didn't mm. mean to. That was not my mm. intention. But words are mm. important. Yeah. Mm. They are. They are. Yeah, you see the power of, of the ways in which culture can influence us. And, um, you know, the, the pictures that get put out there um, that paint different areas and different people um, in different ways. I mean, like even for Jewish people, they were put in ghettos, you know. Um, and so like when people hear that, you know, different words like, you know, sketchy or like urban meant poor black and Latino. You know, so what those things do is it causes us to view other people as others. And what I love that um, Gary and Clarence are doing is bringing back the beauty of the Imago Day and bringing the beauty of that Jesus. Because, you know, we're listening to our to our, our listening family of fellow believers in Christ. that Jesus is the one who showed and modeled how to love. Right, guys? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And especially I was a Samaritan woman. You know, he... There are actually six steps we talk about in the book that Jesus took uh, to gain the trust of the Samaritan woman. But he took tremendous risks and actually broke some religious traditions to do that. In which I love. We're speaking to Dr. Gary Chapman and Dr. Clarence Schuler. Their new book is called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. And I love that subtitle because that's how it works. Mm. Very much so. And I I love this tag that was in your book. Um, It said this, you know, um, especially after it talks about Jesus calling us to love our enemies. And for our listening family, they know in the last year, uh, we've been going through a series on the Sermon on Mount. And so Jesus himself is saying, love our enemies. He's commanding us. And you guys make the point in the book that not only does God command us, but then he also empowers us. But I love this tag that you had, that it's this, a loving attitude leads to loving behavior 
which opens the door to the possibility mm. of becoming friends. Wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we're challenged to have the same attitude that Christ had. You know, Philippians chapter 2, I think it is, as you know, let this attitude be in you, which was in Christ, though he was God, he didn't grasp, you know, being God, he became a man. And when he got on level ground with us, he humbled himself even further to death on a cross. That's our attitude, that we're thinking in terms of how can we serve other people in the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus said himself about himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, came to serve. And mm. we have an attitude that we're here to enrich the lives of other people. Uh, then we want to get close enough to people to know how how we can help them, how we can minister to them. And friendship, of course, is not a one-way street, but it's a two-way street. We're all learning, and we're learning how to serve and uh, and enrich each other's lives. So good. I'm going to take a little break. And again, when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Gary Chapman and Dr. Clarence Schuler about their new book, Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, how you can help heal racial divides one relationship at a time. And this is the Monday Afternoon Mix. Pastor David Miles, Rosie B's a little quiet today, but that's okay. A lot of voices out there. We'll be right back. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. It is the Monday Afternoon Mix, special edition. I love that. I love saying that, special edition. We've got Dr. Gary Chapman and Dr. Clarence Schuler as our guests. They've co-written a book called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. David, you got a question for the Well, you know, two? I think, you know, even as we went to break, we were talking about our earlier conversation about words that we say that we might not know have the same impact. And, uh, you know, we're talking with the two love doctors who are representing Jesus. And one of the greatest things about Jesus is that he so loved the world, uh, that God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believes him should not perish but have eternal life. And so the gospel is so embedded uh, in this topic of forgiveness. And as we were kind of talking about, the reality is that we are perfectly imperfect people. So on mm-hmm. this cross-cultural friendship journey, we're going to make mistakes. And, and you know, Dr. Chapman, I, I love that you and Clarence pick up on the whole five languages of, of apology. How does the five languages of apology come to play uh, on this life-changing cultural, cross-cultural friendships? Well, I think apology is a necessary ingredient to any long-term healthy relationship. And I say that for one reason. We're all human. Whatever our culture, whatever our race, we're human. And no humans are perfect. And we will sometimes say things, do things, or fail to do something or say something that will hurt the other person. And if we're in, and what that does, it creates an emotional barrier between us. It's like putting an emotional block in a wall between us. And if we're not, if we don't apologize for that, 
then and then they don't choose to forgive us, that emotional barrier stays there. And if you don't deal with it and you have another one, you're just putting blocks in a wall between you. And so that's why I think in any relationship, uh, we have to be willing to apologize. And sometimes you don't realize you hurt someone, just like the illustration I gave earlier uh, when I called uh, Clarence and James boys. I didn't realize that I was you know, hurting them and, and that was demeaning in their mind. Uh, sometimes you don't know that. So that's why you have to confront you know, and James was confronting me when he said, I ain't no boy. <laughs> I got it. So I think we have, we have to point that out to people because words mean different things to different people. And if you get and in friendship cross-culturally, you actually say to each other something to the effect of, listen, if I ever say anything or do anything that's offensive to you, that, that, that feels, you know, demeaning to you, please tell me. Because I certainly that's not what I want to do. And so you confront me with it, then I can apologize, you can forgive me, and now the relationship goes forward. Hey, can I piggyback on that? I uh I have like ten loving actions, you know, from the book that that help really define the true friendship. One, talk, play and eat with each other, eat together, pray and be open and show patience, give people the benefit of the doubt. Use your curiosity to listen, inquire, learn, and grow. Embrace and work through mutual, mutually through conflict. Agree to disagree without losing a friendship. Uh, this is really key, I think. Study and learn about what's important to others. Uh, learn from each other as students on each other's journey. Explore even the painful truth, even the truth when it's painful. And then get out of your comfort zone and establish a new cross-cultural friendship. I think we put some of those, again, with the love languages of apology, it gives a good foundation to build some cross-cultural friendships that may last a lifetime. Can we talk a little bit about the love language of apology? Yeah, I think um, we have different ideas on what an apology is. We typically learn those from our parents. If our parents said to us when we pushed our little sister, don't do that, that's wrong. Go tell sister you're sorry. We say, I'm sorry. And uh, now we're 25, and we're an adult, and we have relationships, and if we have to apologize, we typically say, I'm sorry. That's what we were taught to do. But we have different parents, and we discovered by asking thousands of people, uh, when you apologize, what do you typically say or do? And when someone's apologizing to you, what do you want to hear them say and do? And we discovered what we call the five apology languages. Just like there's love languages, there's apology languages. So a part of a growing relationship is you discover what the other person considers to be a sincere apology. Mm. And then you try to apologize in a way that's going to be meaningful to them. Otherwise, you, may you just say, I'm sorry, and they're thinking you certainly are. You know, is there anything <laughs> else you want to say? <laughs> so, again, in apologizing, words are important. Yeah, that is, uh, that's really powerful, you guys. And, you know, again, I just want to say this uh, for our listening family. This has been an amazing book. And if you've been wondering and asking yourself, like, the common questions, like, what do we do? Like, how do we respond? You know, I want to encourage you to go to crossculturalfriendships.com where you can order the book and find out more resources about this. Um, you know, I love what Jerry Jenkins, uh, who's a best-selling author, said about your guys' book. He said, no scolding, no guilt trips, just powerful reminders and solid counsel on how to start healing the rifts between cultures and eschewing the cliche of pretending colorblindness 
Dr. Chapman and Schulers have learned to appreciate and love each other, and I feel honored to call Gary and Clarence friends. You know, guys, you've been speaking at a number of different churches and events, and the the response is has really been mind-blowing. And so, like, if people want to follow up more with you guys on this, how would they go about doing that? Well, you want to tell them? Yeah, they could. They can simply email me at uh, Clarence, you know, FS, like FS and Frank, S is and Sam, so it's Clarence, not Clarence, FS <laughs> at gmail.com. So ClarenceFS at gmail.com is a great way they can do that. Or they can go through the website, um, ClarenceShula.com, and they can actually email me through that as well, and we'll respond to them. And so there are a lot of different ways. So they can actually even uh, contact HarperCollins and uh, or Zondervan, and they some way, and they'll get to us. So because uh, people are having us come speak, and I, and Gary and I've been amazed just how people respond, you know, to our 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 sharing our story. And then we usually have a, a brief Q&A after that. So people come up and ask a lot of questions. And it's really been really fascinating. So thanks, guys, for offering that opportunity if people want to have us come and speak together you know, at their church or their organization. Mm-hmm. I have a question about uh, healing racial divides. I mean, the minute David Miles walked into the studio, I had no racial divide with him. Never have, <laughs> never will. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So we're friends now and, and have mm-hmm. been for a while. So... Um, I guess maybe my question is, what, how do I do, how do we do that, David? Is there a need? Do you need healing from me on my end or? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the beautiful things about the gospel is as we live and walk this out together, it paints a beautiful picture. I like what D, uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, God gave us a gospel, not just to save us from hell but to give a picture that would astonish the world of the reality yeah. of who Jesus Christ is. Love it. And, you know, um, one of the things for some grandparents and even parents that are wondering this, because a number of this, you know, uh, Dr. Tony Evans would call it stinking thinking, you know, that we got has been passed down. And so one of the things I find amazing when I'm reading through the book is the ways in which Gary's parents and Clarence's parents formed in them Christ-likeness, yes. and now we're the beneficiaries of that. So for the person who's feeling like, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, what can I do? Continue to model Jesus, a loving attitude with loving actions, just as Jesus did in loving with the verb. And when we see injustice, as they note in their book, call that out, mm-hmm. because God hates injustice no matter who it is, and show that love. And we can we can leave a godly legacy for that next generation, because the gospel truly is the answer to the situation. I really feel strongly about that. And then, you know, the underlying question in the book we're asking is, what if every Christian in this country had at least one close personal friendship with someone of a different race or culture? We believe it would change the climate in our mm. Mm. I would agree. I think that's a wonderful a question I've always had is when you agree to disagree, have you agreed mm-hmm. or disagreed? <laughs> that's above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, my, my, mine too. I've always been curious about that. That's a great question. I'll, I'll let Gary answer that. <laughs> you, have, you have agreed to let the other person be a human. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I think a good point of that is that 
and agreeing to let another person be human, we we, we put the clothing of humility on. Mm-hmm. And we find mm-hmm. ourselves walking out Philippians 2, that Jesus, who had all power, chose to empty himself and to humble himself. And so whereas the church may actually think that this is like this, oh, my goodness, this is breaking point. This is actually a moment for the church of Jesus Christ to actually shine through the power of the gospel that does what nothing else can do. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I think this whole idea that the person is more important than the issue is really critical. Yeah. And that I'm not going to lose the friendship because we disagree over something. Yeah. Well, you guys can come on the show every week, just so you know. I don't know how busy your schedules are, but you can join the team every week if you want. It's been a delight having you on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Doctors uh, Gary Chapman and Clarence Schuler have been our guests, and we're so appreciative of them making time for the Monday Afternoon Mix. Their brand-new book is Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. And it's a great book. Get your hands on it, and we'll take a break. And when we come back, hour two's ahead. I can't uh, wait for what I have in store for you. I'm going to start by um, an interview I have with um, Dr. Parrott, and he's going to be my first guest. We're going to talk about learning to love roadblocks. Ooh, who likes that? Not me. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.